Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. The Equality Act has been a uh, major point of discussion within the church and outside the church. And in this episode, we are going to work through the Equality Act, talk about, talk about what it is, talk about the history of the Equality Act, and uh, talk about the content of the Equality Act. Uh, we, both Caleb and I, have some pros and cons uh, about the act. Um, and yet we we want to avoid kind of that those polarized voices that are um, wanting to spin the Equality Act in the worst possible direction it can go or the best possible direction that it can go. I invited Caleb on the show to help us work through the the Equality Act because he has spent loads of time uh, analyzing it, researching it, um, thinking through it. He wrote a 100-page document um, that's available on his website. The info is in the show notes where he just works through the the whole entire thing and it's it's the most thorough treatment I've I've ever seen. So Caleb's been living and breathing the Equality Act over the last several months and so he is really I I think the best voice to help us navigate this um contentious uh thing going on in our cultural moment. And Caleb also is one of the most gracious thoughtful people I know when it comes to especially LGBTQ related questions. You might know Caleb from uh, several books that he's written. He uh, wrote a book called Messy Grace, uh, where he discusses being raised in the LGBT community following Jesus and how loving others doesn't require shifting your beliefs. He also wrote a book called God of Tomorrow, and he is coming out with another book called Messy Truth. Caleb Kaltenbach is a pastor and the founder of the Messy Grace Group, where he helps churches love and foster community with LGBTQ individuals without sacrificing theological conviction, convictions. So he, Caleb is, is kind of known for having just such a great posture when it comes to the LGBTQ community. Um, he is quite critical of several things in the Equality Act. And so you, you, I mean, if you know anything about Caleb, you know it's not coming from a place of um, lack of love towards people, especially not a lack of love towards LGBTQ community. Um, but he, and I guess both he and I do see some problems with the Equality Act, which we talk about in this podcast. Speaking of which, if you would like to support this podcast, you can go to theol- uh, Patreon dot com theology and uh, forward slash theology and let me give that again because i totally butchered it patreon.com forward slash theology all of the info is in the show notes this is a listener supported podcast you can support it for as little as five bucks a month if you have been blessed or challenged by the content that we are producing again patreon.com forward slash theology would love your support all right without further ado let's get to know the one and only caleb caldenbach Hello, friends. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I'm here with my good friend, Caleb Kaltenbach, um, who many of you probably know from his book, Messy Grace. Um, and he's coming out with another book, which we will talk about a little bit in this podcast called Messy Truth that comes out in August. And um, Caleb and I, we we met before either of us have written publicly on the, the sexuality conversation. Oh, by the way, Caleb, I'm going to mention, uh, I'm, I'm looking into an external camera here, so it doesn't look like I'm, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just, yeah, anyway, my audience doesn't even know what that means, but <laughs> so I'm looking over here at an external camera. Um, I, I, uh, I was shocked at how we both wrote our books at a similar time. You, yours came out a few months before mine. And I remember reading your book and seeing almost not quite word for word, but at least thought for thought similarities to things I wrote in my book, which we wrote them independently. I mean, just because they came out a couple months earlier, you know, we're, we're, it's not like it's not like I had time to read yours because my manuscript was already done. But I'm like, people are going to think I plagiarized <laughs> your book because there's so many similarities. So anyway, thank you for your work, your friendship and, and all that you do, man. Well, thanks for having me on, dude. It's a, it's a blast. And I love seeing what you're doing and doing through the center and your scholarship and just your heart for, for people. And I think that's, I I think Preston, that's part of what separates, um, uh, what, what makes us alike. And there are other people who like us who are, who share the similar values and so on when it comes to this uh, conversation about sexuality. Um, and I think it really has to do with the fact that, um, we, we understand that loving your neighbor fulfills the whole law, you Mm -hmm. know, as Paul says, Romans 13, eight through 10, and um, we can never 
give up on graciousness and we allow grace to make us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. Allow grace to make us uncomfortable. That's a great word. And we, so we're going to dive into the equality act. And I just, with, with you and I, with everything we do in this conversation, the ultimate goal is to love people better. And we believe the best way to do that is to help them to live a life in line with the creator's design. Like also, so that our theology of, of marriage and sexuality is not, it's, it's not like, at odds with our posture of love and, and grace, it's very much intertwined and woven throughout. Um, and, I, and I need to call. I, I need to say, like, like even as we deal with the Equality Act, our main goal is how can we uh, love people better, treat people better, embody grace and truth towards people better than we have. Um, and yet, th- this Equality Act has raised a lot of questions about that. Um, you have written a very lengthy, very thorough paper. Um, dealing with every jot and tittle of the Equality Act. Uh, how many pages? It's like 80 pages or something like that? Um, 104. 104. <laughs> that's and, the updated version. Yeah. <laughs> um, so first of all, thank you for your work on that. And that, that's why I wanted to have you on, because I'm like, man, this, uh, especially since people might not read a 100-page paper, uh, but they'll listen to an hour-long conversation. So why don't we just start with, um, why don't you just give us, for somebody that, has no clue what the Equality Act even is. Like, let's just let's just start base level. Somebody's never heard about it. Can you explain in the most basic terms what the Equality Act is? Sure. The Equality Act is a bill that has been in front of Congress in some form or fashion since 1974. And about every other year, two or three years, it's introduced to Congress. It's definitely taken some big changes over the last you know, several years, especially since 2015. And we can talk about why that is, because that's very pertinent to what we're mm-hmm. talking about. We can talk about that in a second. But at its base core, um, the Equality Act, in so many ways, it really, it, it does a couple things. Number one, it amends uh, Title Seven and Nine of the 1964 Civil Rights Act okay. uh, that Congress passed to include sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, the, With the, the 1964 does, didn't include that. That that was just about right. sex discrimination and race, right? Or was it just right. sex? Okay, exactly. It was just sex discrimination and race. And then the second thing that it does is it really uh, makes this other bill called uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of uh, 1993 or the RFRA. It makes that null and void. Um, and basically, that has been a bill. That was a bill that was created in 1993, and we can talk about that in a second. But that was created in 1993 to help churches and religious organizations of all different faiths, mm-hmm. of all different religions, uh, to uh, to protect them from the government overburdening them to the point where they can't practice their uh, worship or mm-hmm. uh, where they feel like they have to change their theology because of government encroachment. And so it, it makes the RFRA pretty much obsolete. Real quick, can you hear me? I hit, I clicked a button. I'm not sure if I went mute. Am I mute? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I've got a bunch of construction going on above me. I don't know if, uh, hopefully, it's not coming through the mic, but I might have to no, mute my mic. Can't it's, you can't hear. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, so you're fine. The the whole okay. So 1964 is you're you know it, it is now illegal to discriminate based on sex, and by sex you know, there's no debate about this then that that means biological sex, a biological female. Um, you cannot right. treat them as lesser than or discriminate a, a job. If they apply for a job, they're able to get that job. You can't discriminate based on their sex. And now you're saying through the years, there's been various amendments or, or kind of, um, yeah, additions, amendments, changes, not changes. Well, kind of changes, but I mean, yeah, amendments to that, that bill. Right, right. Yeah. So there, were, so there were amendments to that bill for a couple reasons. So, uh, first of all, there were two Supreme Court cases. The first one being in 1988. The second one being in 1990. Uh, that really made um, necessary the RFRA or the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993. In 1998, the U.S. Forestry Service was plowing a uh, a big road through Northern California, and they wanted to go through a sacred uh, indigenous peoples, Native American. Uh, burial ground. And the tribe basically objected and said, you can't do that. And they said, sure, we can. We're the U.S. Forestry Service. And of course, this is Caleb paraphrase of the whole case. And so, you know, it went to court, court, court. 
Um, the the, the uh, indigenous people who were involved there, they won all the way through the California State Supreme Court, and it gets to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court rules in favor of the U.S. Forestry Service, saying that they can go ahead and build that road, you know, and move all the different um, uh, bodies and, and burial grounds and so on, because that is not forcing indigenous peoples to change their religion, nor is it forcing them mm. to uh, to stop their worship. But okay. people were upset about that, including Christians. Yeah. And then in 1990, you have this very famous case called Employment Division versus Smith that took place in uh, Oregon. And during this time in Oregon, pay, uh, in 1990, peyote was illegal. I don't know if it still is. I'm not up on my peyote uh, rules. No. Um, but there were two uh, federal workers who are federal substance abuse counselors um, in, in a substance abuse center who uh, were taking part in a Native American church and drinking peyote as part of their worship. Uh, their employers found out about it the next day, and they were fired. And basically they said, you can't fire us because we mm. ended up, we were doing this during our worship, and that's invading our worship, and they lost all their benefits and everything else. And it was just not good. And so um, they sued the employment division all the way up to the Oregon State Supreme Court. They won. It gets to the U.S. Supreme Court. They bun it back down to the Oregon State Supreme Court. Uh, the two workers and the two employees win again. It goes back up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court rules against the two employees. And so they wow. lose everything. It's at this time that Chuck Schumer and Ted Kennedy introduced this bill, um, and it's called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And it passes pretty much unanimously, if not unanimously, in the, in the House and the Senate. Bill Clinton signs it into law. And it has been used over the years to protect um, uh, religious institutions from all different religions, uh, Bible colleges, seminaries, Christian colleges, Christian universities, Jewish preschools, uh, Islamic centers. I mean, you just name it. It, it protects all of them in houses of worship. And uh, it, it especially it's been used for uh, indigenous people. And then in 2014, there is another big Supreme Court case. And it's called, and you'll probably remember, Hobby Lobby. Yeah. And when Hobby Lobby. Yeah happened. It was they, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Hobby Lobby five to four. And what was unique about this close ruling is that part of uh, the majority who ruled in favor of Hobby Lobby, part of their rationale was the RFRA. And people just lost their minds. People said the RFRA was meant for religious nonprofit organizations, and you've taken this and applied it to a for-profit organization. And in 2015, now you have all language about the RFRA, where it basically says that the RFRA cannot be used as a defense for anything outlined in this bill. Again, that's that's Caleb paraphrase. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that that's kind of um, you know what what happened with uh, the RFRA and why that's a big deal. There are some um, uh, Christian uh, uh, court ministries or legal funds or whatever. You know, they'll say religious freedom is in danger; it's going to mm -hmm. die, and everything like that. And I don't quite think that it's going to die or anything. I will say though that if the Equality Act ever does pass, um, I do believe that it's going to complicate religious freedom in so many different ways. Um, there, there's still a lot of things that, that protect the church religiously and other religious organizations, but it definitely does complicate things. So that's on, mm -hmm. that's what makes this bill so complicated for houses of worship of all different faiths and religions and, and also educational institutions. So you're saying that the, okay, so let's go fast forward now to the, the equality act that we're going to, that we're talking about. Are you saying that it would say the RFRA does not, so does not protect against the content of this new bill that even yes. religious institutions would have to abide by whatever's being promoted in the bill, which we're going to get to in a second. We'll talk about the content of it. Um, yes. Yeah. So that's yeah. not so a fear. That's, like that's, 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 there's no religious that's, exemption. That's in section 1107. That's in section 1107. And, uh, and it says literally right here, it's on page 32 of my document, the new doc, the updated document. Uh -huh. Preston, I don't know if you have or not, but well, we'll get we'll get it to you. Okay, I, but, I, well, um, I'm, I'm at the I've I'm pulled up the Equality Act, so I'm at 11:07. It says the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 shall not provide a claim concerning or a defense to a claim under a covered title, or provide a basis for challenging the application or enforcement of a covered title. So that's it's saying I'm, I'm trying to I don't, I'm not good at political ease gar jargon. So this is saying it's saying that it can't be used as a defense for anything. 
in the Equality Act when it when it amends Section Nine and Section uh, Title Nine and Title Seven of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. That means that um, churches and seminaries and Christian colleges and so on and so forth cannot use uh, the RFRA as a defense to only hire people who are in who are in opposite sex marriages. Like you would you would basically be required, pretty much the way this reads, to you know according to the Equality Act, you you know you would be under the guise where you would have to hire people you know who are in same sex marriages if they apply. Uh, people who uh, um, uh, maybe have transitioned and maybe your church or your organization doesn't agree with that. Uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't, and you don't want to hire that individual. Um, under the Equality Act, you would be held liable. Now, there are still uh, defenses for churches to where um, there are other defenses they can uh, they can rely on, like ministerial exemption, for instance. Um, the Supreme Court has been extremely favorable towards uh, religious institutions and houses of worship when it comes to uh, ministerial exemption, like extremely, it shows the federal court. And so that remains within the judicial system. It's really hard for Congress to touch that. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very strong covering for churches and Christian colleges. But what's interesting is like for Christian colleges, ministerial exemption would only cover like uh, biblical studies faculty, like missions faculty, ministry faculty, or maybe adjuncts who teach there and maybe another sta- uh, faculty member if they have like one Bible or ministry class or they have responsibilities in chapel, all other faculty positions will not be counted as ministerial exemption. So you would be held liable to hire people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, that, that are in same-sex relationships regardless of what your um, theological statement is at your institution or your, regardless of what your community value says. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that's gosh. Okay. Um, yeah, this gets so complicated. I'm, I'm so glad you've done the work on this because I, I, yeah, these are categories that yeah. I, I that are familiar to me. Um, so that so so the RFRA protects the whole the RFRA protects the whole gambit. Right. Okay. Ministerial exemption only protects part of it. It's much more effective in churches mm-hmm. uh, than it is in Christian colleges or seminaries. Even though I provide examples in the document of you know, ministerial exemption being applied to places like Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and other schools and Christian colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, but the RFRA is much more simple because it does protect the whole gambit. And I, I'm glad you mentioned, I mean, religious freedom, RFRA, is not just a Christian thing. Um, many people no. who are protected under that are Christians, but we're talking, yeah, mosques, uh, synagogues, um, indigenous religious practices, and so on. So, um, I, it's, it's important for Christians to know that, that if you stand for religious freedom, you're standing up for the rights of Muslims to be Muslim. You're standing up for the rights for people to drink pe- peyote during a worship festival, you know, or I guess that would be that, that has historically been debated, whatever. But, um, so, and I think that's good for, for a, for a non-Christian democratic society. That's a, a religious freedom. You, you don't want religious freedom to simply mean Christian freedom because, that can change. And then all of a sudden now, if other people are in power, they can say, no, we want freedom for uh, Muslim people, but not for Christians. You know, you don't want to be selective with which religion you want protected. Um, 100%. What, okay. So let's get into the content of the Equality Act. I know there's a lot of kind of assumptions, maybe like, yeah, I don't, th- I don't know. I mean, I don't know anybody who's actually read the thing. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm, I'm kind of been glancing over it in pre- preparation for this. And there's, I have some serious questions about some of the content of this, uh, <laughs> in particular, the, the credentials of the people or persons who are in charge of writing this. I, I, it's, it's, I have some questions about that. Um, <laughs> but give us the, like, what is the Quality Act arguing for right now? So first, the Equality Act, in so many words, is arguing for, um, you know, how the Equality Act defines uh, equality and equity. I mean, that is what the Equality Act is arguing for when it comes to um, uh, people who uh, uh, people who are transgender or people um, whose sexual orientation is not straight, to put it in simple phrases or words. So um, and, and I think you and I would also agree with that. Um, you know, as far as it, especially in civil society, in sure. civil society, in the public square. And so that's where, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of problematic things in the Equality Act. But I also want to point out, you know, like 
and I know you do too, a couple of the you know, good things in there. Like, for instance, there are uh, places in our countries, municipalities, counties, so on and so forth, where it is more difficult for uh, somebody who uh, relates or identifies as transgender or is in a same-sex relationship or uh, however you know, uh, that person defines their orientation or relates to it, you know, experiences it. There are places where it's tougher for them to um, get home loans or, you know, mortgages. It's tougher for them to get credit cards. It's tougher for them to even uh, participate in the jury system, which I don't know if you've ever been really? to jury before, the jury duty. Like, I'm still here in California, and jury duty, I mean, good luck if you have to go to trial. And I just think to myself, if I have to go suffer, you know, then everybody should go suffer through jury duty. Straight, gay, lesbian, whoever, yeah. I don't care. You need to be in there with me, okay? <laughs> so it, so those are some of the good things that the Equality Act does. And it brings awareness that there are still places in our country where it is difficult. Mm. Um, but again, um, it, does, it does raise some problematic um, uh, issues as well. Like, for instance, um, I'll talk about shared areas, and then we can talk about churches being public accommodations. So shared areas, obviously, this has been huge you know, in, in the news and especially with uh, school boards lately all across the country where, um, you know, the Equality Act would, uh, you know, make it law uh, where, you know, public schools, shopping centers, just businesses, whatever, uh, you would have to have shared areas where anybody could use it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what biological sex or what your birth sex is. So uh, restrooms, uh, lockers, showers, Mm -hmm. uh, dressing rooms, so on and so forth. Um, and for me, here's the interesting thing for me. Um, I remember when target made the announcement, I think it was back in 2016 or something pressing yeah, when yeah. they said, um, you can use whichever bathroom you want. Um, you know, I was concerned about that. My concern was not about transgender individuals using the bathroom. My concern was about the creepy heterosexual men using opposite sex bathrooms. And sure enough, the very next week, Target had to arrest somebody at one of their stores, a, a dude that went into the women's bathroom and he was not, he had never experienced gender dysphoria. He was not transgender. And he tried to make the argument and he was looking underneath stalls. So you look at something like that mm -hmm. and it's like, that's what scares me more than anything. Cause I just kind of assume the transgender individuals have been using opposite sex bathrooms for years now. Um, but this, um, it, it's, it, it really opens the, the door and the gambit. And there is a sense in which, you know, if the RFRA cannot be applied to churches, you know, uh, churches and Christian colleges, they have covering as far as some uh, em employee positions. But when it comes to bathrooms and shared areas and mm -hmm. so on, there are some big questions there. Yeah. Um, and, and the bill is very ambiguous. And, mm -hmm. and that that is very problematic, very problematic. What about athletics is another one that comes up too, right? It, it would be equality. It would be a violation of, of equality as defined by the act if a biological male was denied um, the ability to play in female-only sports, right? Like yeah, so a transgender woman would have complete open access no matter what to go play uh, on a women's team, uh, which I guess in a sense – uh, we have to say that in that sense, the, the way that we assimilate in our society when it comes to sports automatically changes from biological sex to gender at that point. Mm -hmm. And gender in terms of how it's interpreted uh, sociologically through socio, uh, you know, cultural constructs and, and uh, right. social roles. Um, what, what's really interesting is, number one, there, there are many cases, increasing cases of transgender women, biological men who have transitioned or boys who have transitioned who are, who are now playing sports. And in, in many cases, they just blow a lot of women out of the water. Um, and I'm not trying to say women are weak. Um, there, there are times when women blow them out of the water. But I'm just saying that um, there is something where, you know, depending on the guy, they're a lot stronger usually. And you know how athletic they are they can just you know uh, so and, I, I i've heard that i've yep, heard that, that i've heard that how and and i don't know if let me try to formulate my question because i know and again i just acknowledge we're dealing with very sensitive things and assumptions and clickbaity kind of headlines and stuff um uh is it, it 
it seems like it's it is a tiny percentage of people trans identified people who are biological males trying to play in female only sports but or or i guess my let me frame that as a question is this a, a an issue a non-fringe issue are we talking about three or four kind of headlines that have made it in because i've seen the you know the the what is it the rugby player it's like six foot four biological male rugby player who identifies as female just blowing through women and just destroying them i don't know if you've seen videos of footage of that you have the boxer what's her name um i don't know uh again a, a biological male identifies as female who is you know i think is just busting up other um females you and from all pacific games you have the yeah. uci masters cycling world championship i mean the thing is is that yeah i mean there are here's the thing there are increasing examples okay that's so that's that's what i'm asking like are we talking about three yeah. or four global cases or are we talking about no. 30 or 40 are we talking about a massive increase that's happening or we're talking about i wouldn't say a massive increase but it is an increase in what's happening okay. globally let's say as well um and and in what's interesting that the corresponding you know side of this is you don't really i don't i hardly see any stories of transgender men women that have transitioned you know, to be men, I hardly see any cases of transgender men fighting to play sports on men's teams. Well, it doesn't, yeah, They're, it doesn't, that's not a thing. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, I, I just think that's interesting and yeah. not too many people address that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, 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 you know, and I don't, I don't address it much in here. I think I have a sentence on it, you know, because again, I'm, I'm not trying to add to the culture war. I'm trying to help people understand, you know, what's going on. Um, yeah, but yeah. There, there is something to be said for that. You know, yeah. if, if, it, if this is about equality all the way around, why is it not happening on the corresponding, you know, transition? Right. Is it just this one? So I just listened that, to a podcast with uh, uh, Andrew Sullivan's podcast I listened to, and they were talking about he was he was on in conversation with um, what's her name? Julie Bindle. She's a, like a radical feminist. And they, they were discussing exactly what you raised uh, uh andrew raised the exact same question you did like how come we don't if um oh because the question came up like i think julie said if testosterone is kind of the key ingredient that makes men more sexually aggressive more violent stronger all these things and how come when a biological female um takes testosterone you don't see a high percentage of trans men biological females identifying as as men um, with the kind of high rates of se- being sexual predators and 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 being physically violent and all these things, if 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 testosterone is simply the the kind of uh, you know the key ingredient, I think some of that has to do not just with artificial use of testosterone, but actually going through the natural processes of of puberty, so that even a male who identifies as female maybe takes estrogen and has a more female appearance, if they have still gone through puberty as a male. They have a bone structure, muscle mass, and other things. There, that those are irreversible. I don't care how much estrogen you take or how much testosterone you reduce. Um, so that you would really have to almost take like a pre-adolescent, like somebody who had never went through the puberty with their biological sex, went on blockers, went on cross-sex hormones. Like that biological male might not be at much of a advantage um, in in an athletic arena, but that's, that's so rare, especially with the massive debate about puberty blockers and it's going on. So, um, right. Yeah. We, yeah. Anyway, we're, <laughs> we don't want to get too lost in the weeds. So, um, so changing, so, so changing spaces, sleeping arrangements, bathrooms would be, would be based on gender identity, not biological sex. Um, well, yeah, even there's even questions with churches on student ministry, overnight trips, um, retreats, conferences, youth camps, uh, children's camp, you know, if you do have a student or a child that, um, you know, that that uh, considers themselves to be transgender, uh, would it be illegal for the church to say, no, you we assimilate people by biological sex. So you need to be in this cabin. Um, and I've and I've even in what I do, I've had to help so many churches think through that. Mm. Uh, two of them almost got sued because of it uh, recently. So. Um, and, and trying to think through accommodations is no small challenge uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to transgender students. And, right. and my heart goes out to transgender students. So I'm not talking bad about them. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, you know, as Christians, you know, as you say, you know, we want to create environments where it's easy for people to find and follow Jesus. 
And some of the times we need them in the right headspace too, so that they feel comfortable and safe and so on and so forth. Right. And so churches do that and it, it becomes difficult. And that's one of those things where um, the RFRA wouldn't cover churches and this bill is just very ambiguous mm-hmm. when it comes to religious organizations. So I think that they're hoping that that would be fought out in court or other people would be responsible for another bill so they don't have to sign on to it. Yeah. And to me, that's just politicians yeah. all over the place. Let, let me. This is a super dumb question, I think. So you mentioned Target earlier. Like Target had a policy that bathrooms are now based on gender identity, not biological sex. So this has been happening. But what the Equality Act would do is make it a federal offense if somebody doesn't it do that, right? It's mandatory. But right now, a business can say, we have all gender bathrooms, whatever, like, whoever, you know, wherever you want to go is, is, if it matches your gender identity, go use your bathroom. And so that can happen on an individual level, but this would make it legal. Yeah. Yeah. Under Title Seven, especially for for-profit businesses, you would have to do that. Yeah. So here, sorry, I, I have up right now um, section 1101 where it says definitions and rules. And <laughs> I remember reading this. Um, I just I I I I I gotta I, well, I'm bewildered. First, texted me. Yeah. You're like uh, Caleb, did you write this or was this in there? Like, because yeah. if you wrote this, we need to talk, bro. <laughs> well, it, it was. I, I was like, hey, are you representing them correctly? Because this is so bizarre that you don't. I just want to make sure you're not misrepresenting them. And you said I'm just quoting them. I'm like, wait, this is just a quote from the Equality Act because this is so. I'll just say it. It's horrible. And I'm not saying horrible like it doesn't agree with a Christian position or it doesn't. I'm not even saying the conclusion. I'm saying they're they're working with definitions that make zero sense and there's not a single academic on the planet. Okay, there's 99% of people that have any kind of knowledge of the conversation would not – they would laugh at these definitions, I, I, whether they're trans or not or, or an activist or – so it says – here's how they define sex, which – you can take any biological textbook, take any textbook written by a um, I- anybody that deals with this conversation, and their definitions do, do not agree with that. Um, sex, I'm just going to read it. Sex includes now, – now, sex means biological sex. That's precisely what the 1964 Act – that's the whole point of it. And any kind of gender theorist or gender activist – would agree that sex means biological sex. They would just invest gender identity with more weight. But they're not going to define sex means biological sex, male or female. But the Equality Act says sex includes, and this is not a joke, a sex stereotype. <laughs> that's, that's B, or that's A. B, pregnancy, childbirth, or a related medical condition. I don't even know what they're talking about there. At least that is referring to some kind of biology biological category here so that's okay i could i would love to explore that more or c sexual orientation or gender identity that that i don't (laughs) the whole point of gender identity is to talk about an aspect of human nature in distinction from sex they say sex includes gender identity that makes zero sense with anybody who has any knowledge of this conversation and then uh, point D, sex also includes sex characteristics, including intersex traits. Again, that that I can live with. You're, you're, I think they're talking about you know anatomy or some biological category. But that, that this is, I, I don't know how anybody would. Where do they get this from? It doesn't exist in any kind of far left, far right kind of like academic approach to this conversation. I think they get it from their own political minds of how can they craft things and word things to try to make everybody happy, but at the same time, don't get people mad and at the same time, um, make sure that they get reelected and so on and so forth. Because I really, really believe that the ultimate purpose of this is for influence, power and reelection. I think it's a power grab. Um, uh, one of the scholars I quote again and again in this, uh, Douglas Laycock, who is a, uh, professor at the university of Virginia law school. <clears throat> He's written extensively on this. He actually, um, supports same sex marriage, um, you know, uh, publicly and theologically, but <clears throat> he is 100% against the Equality Act. And he is a um, very progressive Democrat, but he is against the Equality Act. And I quote him time and time again in this document where he says, This is a power grab. This is what this is. This is a power grab. This is about power. And if it's about power, 
you're not going to be concerned about wording things in ways that actually help people. You're going to be concerned about wording, you know, terms in ways that don't make you look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think too, Preston, this is why there are uh, countless numbers of uh, feminist individuals uh, and and lesbian women who do not support the Equality Act. Well, yeah, when you, have, when you when you talk when you define sex as a sex stereotype, <laughs> feminists yeah. have worked a hundred years to get rid of that. Like that that is the most patriarchal, hyper conservative statement I've seen in 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 a long time. That to that that what it means to be a male is you must be masculine. Right. So, like that, so that's basically what this definition is saying. So like masculinity is included as part of what sex is. So if you're not masculine, then maybe you're not like, really? <laughs> so you're telling me a guy wrote this. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. No woman yeah, yeah. Had probably yeah, has even but, read this. I mean, like, like I've been like yeah. consulted on this. No feminist would yeah. ever be. <laughs> no, and you, see, you see, that's part of the reason why so many feminists have a problem with transgender women playing sports was that it sets back women's rights, women's suffrage and feminism. I mean, that's why Title IX was created, you know, to separate, right. you know, and create separate biological sports teams, biological sex sports teams, so that women could fairly compete. And then this pretty much undoes all of that. Yeah. And so that's why you do have a lot of, uh, and you don't hear this in the news and other places, and I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it's not part of the narrative. Yeah. And so you're not always going to hear it. So, but that's why you have a lot of individuals who you wouldn't think are against the Equality Act, who are against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, does, it doesn't seem to be amending the 1964 Act, but actually reversing it and bringing us back to a pre-1964 kind of era. And, and I, l- l- let, me, let me acknowledge here that the, the hot button, the, the three kind of, as I hear you talk, three really concerning controversial points are kind of like athletics, bathrooms changing spaces and religious freedom seem to to my mind be the ones that are the most a, a bit and public accommodations public accommodations yeah yeah um and i and i want to say that the the over an overwhelming majority of people this is i guess anecdotal but i'm just going to say it overwhelming majority of people who identify as trans or experience gender dysphoria are not the kind of like activists trying to change bathroom policies or trying to push their way into athletic. Like we are still talking about a small percentage of actual trans people. Yes. Um, and if Christians, so I'm speaking to my people to the right of me now, if Christians only get fired up and speak out with athletics and public accommodations and you're not walking with or trying to reach out and love the many people in our churches, outside our churches, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, who are wrestling with their gender for whatever reason, um, then that's, it's kind of like the Christians who you never hear them even mention anything about race until CRT comes around and then they have a statement against CRT. Then they go back into their white, you know, churches. And it's like, wait a minute, if you haven't been talking about race for all these years, and this is the only time you're going to talk about race, like it just doesn't, doesn't look too good. So I want to warn against Christians only getting maybe fired up with some of these, some aspect of the Equality Act. At the same time, I, I think this is not going to be helpful for society on so many levels. Um, no, no, it won't. And and I think number one, I, I love what you said about you know religious freedom is not just um, a Christian ideal; it's an everybody ideal. Yeah, uh, it's part of what is supposed to make America America. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that. I understand, and I know you do too from New Testament studies, that when the church is persecuted, um, it grows. So I get that. I get that, and I understand. Yeah. But on the other hand, I also believe that religious freedom makes society better in general. It, it yeah. creates a really conducive experience to be able to share the gospel freely with people you know, as much as you can. I understand it creates a lot of lukewarm Christians, but the benefits that it gives us to share the gospel around the world and share the gospel here, I think far outweigh the negative aspects of it. And I think, again, in general, it makes society better. And when society is better, it is easier for people to hear about Jesus. And so that's why I support religious freedom, you know, because it, it does make our society better. That's great. Um, Okay. So if a church, let's just say this passes and I have questions about even, is it, or what does that process even look like? Let's just say it passes. Does this mean that churches will simply lose their nonprofit status if they don't abide by it? Or would it still, is it more than that? Is it, they will be guilty of federal offense if they don't 
you know, abide by the Equality Act? Well, if it passes, here's what's going to happen. If it passes, um, there's going to be uh, immediate lawsuits, I, I would imagine, the same day. And it's going to go into a court. And um, I imagine that there will be some kind of federal judge uh, who will put a stop on some aspects of it. Um, there will be a federal judge somewhere. And I guarantee you that whenever it does pass, it will get to the Supreme Court. I do not think it will pass this year. And the reason why it passed unanimously, um, almost no, it had unanimous Democratic support in the House, but it won't pass the Senate, even though Democrats have a majority of, I think, one or two seats in the Senate with highly contested and controversial bills. The filibuster rule applies where you need uh, 60 votes instead of 51 for a bill to pass. Oh. And so got to find like eight or nine Republicans to sign off on this and they're not going to. So that's why I say, unless something big happens, I don't see it passing. I do see it passing one day. And I think we need not underestimate the fact that a version of this uh, could pass in some way, um, you know, under uh, state, on, on the state level or uh, city level. I, I was working with one church a couple months ago where something like the Equality Act, a bunch of uh, city ordinances in their city passed and so one of the campuses at their church now, they, they had to deal with an Equality Act type situation, except it was just within their city. And I mean, you've been an elder at the church and you know that the city can be really frustrating to work with. They can make yeah. your life miserable. And so, you know, we had to immediately get together and we had to start talking about, OK, bathrooms and, you know, public accommodations, because once you do an outreach or once you rent out your facilities to anybody in the community um, you know, according to the Equality Act, um, the church would be seen in those moments as public accommodation. So that would need to be mm -hmm. open to everybody, no matter what. Um, you know, it, it would need to be open to, um, for lack of a better uh, example, or here's just one example, like if Planned Parenthood wanted to do an outreach um, at a church and, you know, a church is, you know, for life from birth all the way through death and they support life that way. And they're like, no. Um, we're going to refuse on, on the basis of theological disagreement. You can't do that. You can refuse on scheduling um, conflicts, but not on the basis of, of, uh, of uh, theological disagreement. And there's only so long until the scheduling excuse runs out and you start getting in mm -hmm. trouble, you know? And so, you know, that's why, you know, this particular church made the decision, hey, we're not even going to rent out our church, church right now. We'll let people use it for free, but we're not going to rent it out. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. they're held to all of the different, mm -hmm. all of those different stipulations. And so, um, that, that whole public accommodations thing can get really, really trippy. Do you think this will, I mean, I, I just can't imagine that I, I'm shocked that, cause to me, this isn't even a partisan thing. Like you're, you're trying to, you, so you're saying that 100% of the Democrats, Democrats in Congress or in the in house? Congress, in the house in the house. Define sex as a sex stereotype? Like that to me you don't need that's not a partisan thing. That's just an absurd statement. Like that's <laughs> I don't think any of them wanted to be seen as not voting for the Equality Act. And there were three Republicans, I think two who voted for two in the house. So um and and I think this is what makes it so ghastly is that you have a lot of people who are clapping, you know, when it passes like we care about the LGBTQ community and our LGBTQ neighbor and family and friends and transgender teens. And then we're going to send this to the Senate and they know it's going to bomb in the Senate. They know it's not going to pass. They know that they have created oh. a bill that is not going to pass. And yet here they are acting like they've accomplished this big thing. And if they really cared about the suicidality of LGBTQ students and teens and, and transgender individuals, they would create something like the Utah Compromise you know, like like what happened all the way back in 2015 when you have Mormons, Christians, feminists and LGBTQ individuals get together, lock themselves in a room and they come out with a bill, you know, that, that everybody is happy with. They what, would what, try. Can, do I don't this. know what that is. You mentioned it earlier. The Utah is that that's what happened in this Utah act or. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, you know, you can look it up and this is a precursor to the Fairness for All Act, Okay. Uh, which if you've heard of that, that yeah. is kind of like the alternate to the Equality Act. And the Fairness for All Act is basically the Equality Act without, um, you know, w without 
some of the sports stuff and, and, and it has protection for religious organizations. But basically in 2015, um, uh, Christians, Mormons, feminists, and LGBTQ individuals started working together and they created this bill, which is now known afterwards as the Utah compromise. Um, you know, basically, uh, all of these people got together and they created a bill that protected LGBTQ individuals from uh, s- discrimination within the civil square while allowing freedom of religion and freedom to implement church policies. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, even though people in Utah celebrated this and it's going well, it, it the, you know, huh. when this was taken to the federal level and they tried to do the same thing, it drew the ire of many. And so many people are like, no, we're not doing this. Right. And the reason why they say no again Elections, power, influence. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you there. Um, what? What? Okay, in the Equality Act, does it does it say anything about um, counseling or psychological or whatever approaches to teenagers with a gender identity that doesn't match their biological sex? Like, for instance, you know like does it does it outlaw alternative psychological approaches to trans teens? under the banner of that's all conversion therapy. If you don't affirm their gender identity, you know, you know, I'm, yeah, 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 no, I know, I know what you mean. You're not, yeah. And I know you're not talking about conversion therapy, but no. just you're talking about even pastoral counseling or biblical counseling. that is not conversion, but because it comes from, you know, right. I guess lack of a better phrase, cisgender point of view, um, you know, theologically then bam right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I honestly, I can't remember. Okay. Honestly, no, that's fine. I can't remember. But I wouldn't be surprised, um, and I'm sure that some aspect of it could be interpreted that way. Okay, yeah. Well, I know that that's in a lot of the, the is it the SOGI laws or whatever the sexual orientation, gender identity, where again those those are two very different things and they're being collapsed together. Um, which my my lesbian feminist friends tell me it's just kind of like you keep saying a power grab. It's you know, we've already won the public that conversion therapy is bad, and both you and I would say, yeah, that's not, well, that's not, that's not our approach we're advocating for. Um, but it's really easy to kind of smuggle in gender identity change under the banner of conversion therapy when gender identity change is another way of saying helping teenagers live in their bodies, which for many decades has been a good thing. You know, we've been trying to do, but if you call it conversion therapy to help somebody accept their body, then you can kind of, yeah, it's just so much of it's kind of a language power game too, you know, using certain phrases to describe certain things, but totally. um, And that's why I say, I think there, um, even though this won't pass, I I think there are things that churches and religious organizations can do today to start getting ready for that. Um, because again, you don't know if it won't pass on a state level or city level. Like, like the illustration I just uh, gave you not too long ago, it is, as you can imagine, probably much easier to pass on a city level um, or even a state level, uh, depending the, on the state. The Equality Act? Mm-hmm. Well, a, a version of it, except at a state level or a city level. Oh, so this isn't – we're not dealing just with the Equality Act on a federal level. You're saying there's going to be various versions of this on state and city levels. Oh, that, yeah. oh okay. So I, I don't even yeah. know how all this works. So That's why I say I, I was working with the church a couple months ago and – um, they, their, their city passed a version of this, you know, not the exact same, but with a lot of the same stuff. And so now one of their church campuses is in this particular city. They're having to think through all this stuff as if the Equality Act has happened, because in a sense it has happened on, at their city level. Okay. And the city can be much more in the weeds than the federal government, depending on the issue. You know what I mean? So, and, and, and that's why I say, I think that um, I, I do not think it'll pass, you know, this bill. I think it, it, there's a good chance it could pass one day, but I don't think it will pass this year. Um, mm-hmm. Probably not next year. But the thing is, is that um, I would not be surprised again if uh, portions of it don't find themselves in other bills that get brought up, yeah. or if that again state or city level. So I think churches need to start preparing now and getting ready for that. That's a that's a great great distinction because yeah on a federal level I can't imagine because I, I know I know same sex marriage being passed on a federal level that was a shock to everybody but that that to me it kind of wasn't like same sex marriage you're dealing with basically a clear black and white like conservative liberal question you know if you're conservative you're probably against it if you're liberal you're probably for it but with this 
some of the most outspoken people are very, very liberal, anti-conservative, anti-religious, like you said, lesbians, feminists, and, and, and even, I mean, quite a number of just LGBTQ people, older transsexual people who identify as transsexual, not transgender, um, would be <laughs> against some of the younger trans activism that they see, I, I, they, they would see as being kind of just uh, like anti-scientific. Um, so I, yeah, I, it just seems like there's, there's many kinds of people who would be much on the liberal side of things that would have problems with this, as you, as you even mentioned earlier with your, with the guy who's done work on it. But, um, yeah. And when people say, when, when they have polls saying that people, you know, you know, 70%, 80%, 60%, 55%, whatever percentage it is, support the Equality Act. I guarantee you those people have not read it. No. Okay. Number one, I guarantee you. Number two, if you get a phone call or a text and you're being pulled and you decide to take it, do you want to be the person that says, no, I don't support the Equality Act? Like, I'm not for the to- equal rights of LGBT people. Like, who's going to say that aside right, from a few right. radical conservatives today? Right, right. I mean, there, there are those out there and, you yeah. know, they probably love Nickelback and love listening to Nickelback. But other than that, you know, the majority of people are honestly, they're, they're going to tell a white lie and they're going to say, yeah, yeah, I support it, but they haven't read it, you know, or they've only heard about it and that's it. Yeah. And you read it and you start getting a little more than a little bothered. Yeah. Wow. Well, Caleb, uh, thanks for your work on this. Can 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 people get act that that long paper you wrote? Is it posted somewhere that they can access, or do you just send it to people? Or I don't I don't want to get yeah. hundred emails after this episode of people wanting it. But is, yeah, is it posted somewhere? No, no, no. That's fine. I've you know I've I've sent it out to hundreds of people already. I'm happy to do so. If you go to calebcaltonbach.com or messygracegroup.org, you just scroll down okay. and you look or the Equality Act, you click on the link under resources on each website, and then, you know, pull out the form, tell me what church you go to, um, you know, tell me, you know, just that kind of stuff. It'll tell you what to say in the form, and then um, I'll I'll email it right over to you. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, bro. It was great talking to you again. And uh, yeah, well, I'll have you back on to talk about your your book, A Messy Truth. Uh, I've read it, endorsed it. It's, it's, uh, as with Messy Grace, man, it's a fantastic book. So yeah, but let, let me let's. Uh, I, I don't want to just t- tack that on at the end here. Let's have another podcast in a couple months and we'll talk about it. Thank you, bro. Right. Appreciate it. Take care.